hell are you? I'm glad I'm glad we got this fired up. I don't think you you need an introduction, Tyler. but Tyler, how can we start this thing? That there's picks remaining in the draft. I'm waiting with bated breath here. You're, you're, I'm guessing you've got both broadcasts up, right? ESPN and NFL Network. You're soaking it all in, aren't you? I have not turned on the TV today. I just can't handle it. I'm just watching the draft tracker on NFL.com. Yeah, uh, well, Packers just grabbed a uh, Central Michigan running back. Maybe somebody you saw, Lou Nichols. Lou Nichols. I did see him two years ago at Western Michigan, just for the heck of it. A little action. <laughs> Bob is a Mac expert, basketball and football. You've become a, a connoisseur of all things Mac, I feel like. I did see uh, the sixth-round pick, Carl Brooks. I saw him live at Bowling Green this year. Went down there for the hell of it and saw him play your Buffalo club, Tyler. <laughs> well, Bob, I'm so glad that I was able to uh, swindle you into doing one of these happy hours with a bunch of readers. I was just telling them how the vantage point that I've had with you in general is special and rare. And I'm so fortunate that you've become so much more than a co-worker and a colleague. I could consider you one of my, one of my best friends, a mentor, a Green Bay dad of sorts out there on and off the field. Right. We had some great conversations back in the day. Um I just thought it'd be great for people to get to know you and, and ask you anything they want, you know, whether it's NFL draft Packers, uh, the trade of Aaron Rodgers, which was highly criticized at the time, Bob. I don't know if you remember that. Uh, we can get into anything and everything that these, that these folks want. So like how we do these is we just kind of fire away and you can, you can hit the raise hand icon if you want on zoom to get, quote unquote called on, but we don't I mean this is just a free flowing deal. We'll just let it rip. Yeah. Okay, we got a few more coming in too. So yeah, just where where do you want to start? I mean Bob, where do you want to start? Like are you tired of talking about the draft? Do you do you like no. when it's when it's over, are you do you are you done? Like do you just get away or all these names are probably still so fresh on yeah. your brain that you can uh you can probably dig into any any of these pro i mean start with the first pick like L lucas van ness what what do you know about him? i'm sure packer fans would love your perspective talking to all of these scouts all of these execs and coaches you know he's got he's got great size he ran four six two he's a young kid he's powerful um he's a hard worker good wonderlick score uh, he's just, you know, he's he's a third-year sophomore. He's only played two years. He's never started a game. He's at, like, 50% playing time. So if you take a guy at 13, you know, you'd like to have a, a stronger resume to go on. That's the one problem with Van S. And, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a bit of a gamble because of a thin resume. Kirk Ferentz just does a little different at Iowa, right? I mean, he – you watch as much Big Ten football as as anybody, and we we both have talked to Kirk Ferentz for different project projects over the year. It's just it's just a little different there. How how would you kind of explain it? Because that's like if you don't know how they operate there at Iowa, that would be a red flag. I mean, didn't even start a game, but he played a lot of snaps, and it's a typical Brian Gutekind's pick with the arm length and the size and the attributes, all of that. 
you know, take it, taking somebody that you can coach up and turn into something is what Green Bay does. Uh, but, but yeah, what's it like there in Iowa for, for those who might not really get that? Um, you know, so as you know, Charlie, my son, Tyler, he graduated from there in about 2010 oh, yeah. and he's a huge Hawkeye fan. So, you know, we talk about their teams every year. Um, is Kirk the most senior college coach division one anywhere? Yes. Most, yes. Most, 23 years, maybe. Yeah. In fact, Charlie worked in that office uh, his senior year there, uh, sorting out recruiting DVDs. I remember that. And so he knows the Ferentz family. But yeah, it's uh, conservative, uh, fundamentally sound, produced a lot of linemen. They had a terrible offense this year, <laughs> beyond terrible. And um, yeah, so he played the seniors ahead of Van Ness. Van Ness, uh, according to one scout, showed maturity by understanding and never never making a fuss about it. And uh, he played his 53%. I think they were stunned when he came out. Um, and so that hurts their program, obviously. But when you develop, when you recruit good players like that, that's what happens to everybody. You know, in a way, in a way, uh, He's kind of taken over for Zadarius Smith, who, for whatever reason, they couldn't didn't have the money or the impetus to re-sign the guy a couple of years ago. So he plays opposite uh, Gary. Uh, Preston Smith's nearing the end, and Gary's coming back from the knee. So they're gonna they're gonna uh, need an awful lot from Van S. And then he can run from inside. Uh, he can rush from inside, I believe. He did that successfully at Iowa at times. Uh, so he goes inside next to perhaps Kenny Clark and their sub stuff. Beautifully said. I see JP has his uh, hand up, our, the go long technology expert here. So thanks again for, for getting us squared away there. Sure, Bob, as you talk about him, he reminds me a little bit of Kenny Clark in a way that Kenny Clark kind of came out young and then really kind of, you know, grew into the role and stuff like that. And uh, I wonder if you think, you know, obviously, we'd love to have him turn into the success level of a Kenny Clark and stuff like that as well. But whether you think he's got some of that kind of stuff in him. Well, if he gets to be anywhere near Clark, that'd be one heck of a pick. You know, Clark's become a great player. Where was he drafted? 26 or 27, I think, something like that. Yeah, I think, you know, one scout brought up the name Aaron Campman. Um, and these are names that you guys know, Aaron Campman and Bryce Pop. He's bigger than Bryce Pop. Um, Boy, Bryce Pop was defensive player of the year in Buffalo, right, Tyler? As you remember. That's right. I mean, he is one the, – the bend he had is incredible coming off the corner. What a natural bender. And then um, Campman, I always thought he was kind of underrated. In all my – in my years of, uh, you know, counting pressures and hurries and knockdowns and things, his numbers were just fantastic for two or three years stretch there. So if he's as good as Campman, who started out as a defensive end and then he stood up his last year in Green Bay, uh, it actually wasn't a terrible move, a terrible decision with uh, Dom Capers. Um, but if he gets to be as good as Campman, that's be another great pick. B Harlan in the house. There's a lot of a lot of B Harlans in the world. What's what's going on? Yes, I've got a question for Bob. Can everybody hear me? Yes, sir. Yes. Hey, Bob, this is Brian. I live in Chicago. I am an Iowa graduate like your son. I'm also a native of Green Bay, and uh, we've met a few times. My question to you, Bob, is that the Packers took a 
kicker in the sixth round from Auburn and pulling your ties to Michigan. I wonder, should they have taken Moody, given the fact that everybody thinks he's going to be a long-term NFL kicker? So, Brian, Moody's definitely better than Carlson, you know, than the special teams people I talked to and, and scouts on that. So, Moody went late three to the Niners. Uh, do you want to – so, they took Kraft, and then Moody went about 20 picks later, and then Colby Wooden. So, they would have had to trade up for Moody. I've seen Moody his whole career over here at Michigan. He was really automatic these the last two years. I mean, really automatic in cold weather. Won that Illinois game on a like a 25 degree day. I mean, there's no Michigan in the winning the Big Ten, I don't think, or in the playoffs without that kick. That was from 35 to win it at the buzzer, 1917. Um, Carlson, I don't know. He's not a long range guy. His brother uh, bombed out with the uh, Vikings after they picked him. He's had a great career now with the Raiders. Carlson's been there six years at Auburn. He's gone through some uh, some tough times. He's injured. He had an ACL. I don't know. I think it's worth a shot. The guy from Eastern Michigan, Rylan, went in the fourth, so that was beyond Green Bay. So they got Crosby in the sixth 15 years ago. It's worth a shot here. They had a whole bunch of picks at the end of this draft. I was anticipating them taking a kicker. Thank you. I was hoping for some some long snapper talk mixed in there too, Bob. That's always my favorite part of the series when you start breaking down these long snap. How in the hell do you have a conversation with a scout about long snapping for real? I never really asked you that. Well, you know, the GMs and personnel directors, they wash their hands of that stuff. They don't, they just laugh it off. Bob, don't even talk to me about that. That's, I don't care. That's all special teams coach. But now the area scouts, if you get guys who cover an area, yeah, they're doing special teams and they're doing them hard. And they're they're looking at all kinds of things, you know. They're timing everything, of course, you know. It matters. We saw it in Green Bay how much it matters, I guess. <laughs> it sure does. Yep. I'm going to get Serafino working some long snaps this summer. You know, I think that's what we got to do as young dads. <laughs> I see David. David's iPad has a hand up. Bob, a pleasure to talk to you. Uh, read you for so many years and always loved your your writing. Um, I, the Packers only have two picks left, and so far they haven't taken a safety unless they're planning on playing Carrington Valentine there or despite what uh, other writers have said, uh, moving Rasul Douglas to safety, and that doesn't seem like that's going to happen. So what, what's going on there? Yeah, I don't think Rasul Douglas is physical enough. Uh, I really don't. So I don't think that's a possibility. Where's my Packer depth chart? All right. I mean, now you guys are closer to it. Now, you know, I kind of after that 13 part series in the fall for, for goal long, I mean, I'm not really covering the team anymore. So um, is Darnell Savage re-signed or has he got another year or what? They exercised his fifth year option for some incredible reason. All right. So, so he's there. Tarverius Moore, Rudy Ford. We saw him last year. Yeah, they got to get a guy. I mean, that's that's really the void here, you know. That's the one void, as scouts like to call it, pro scouts. So they got to get one. I can't tell you who's on the street with in terms of veterans, but um, I don't see Douglas, not Stokes, not Alexander, obviously. Kayshawn Nixon, he's a pretty tough guy. I don't know his background, really. I thought he was just a corner. So they got to get a guy. 
you're right there. Thanks. Yeah, what was the what was the game with Savage when he missed that terrible tackle? Oh, that was brutal. Um, this past season was that the Detroit oh, that game? That was several. Ga- that was several. Several games. games. Yeah, yeah. Good against drafts are interesting. I I think he's hit more than he's missed, but they're always going to say it's a coincidence. But it's it's been defense at the top of these drafts, hasn't it? I, for, for for better or worse, and if you're going to spin it, it's he saw a decade of Packers football in the playoffs and the defense collapsing and hell you draft enough guys in the first round and you're going to hit on some, and maybe you don't give away that lead you gave away in Seattle. Oh man, that was, that was unbelievable. Really? Boy, the first, right. seven, first seven players this year, just two on defense, Van S and then uh, Colby wooden. Yeah. They got a lot of picks. They should hit a few. Your odds go up with more picks, you know? Well, they found Rob Gronkowski in the third round, apparently, right? This is a... Uh... <laughs> yep. Tell us, tell us about Kraft. I mean, I didn't know anything about him. I'm not really scouting Jack Rabbit, Jack Rabbit football in the fall, but he, he sounds like he could be a, a hidden gem, possibly the scout. I mean, I think what pops to everybody that reads your... um your series. And then when the, the Packers and we included the bills and the, and the giants, we had a lot of followers to like those teams too, is when, when they're that effusive with their praise on somebody drafted in the middle rounds, it, it definitely makes my eyebrows perk up. Like, wow, that's, that's interesting. Cause yeah. be highly and critical of some of the best players. And it's certainly like, unlike Gutekunst, he's not a small school draft guy, you know, and to take South Dakota state, but of course, uh, the guy from the Eagles out there uh, that, you know, that's a, uh, obviously the comparison, you know, I, I'm not going to be writing a big analysis of the Packer draft. Uh, you know, that's, that's not me right now, but I just, I just took about 10 minutes just trying to think about if I was what I'd be thinking about. They took two tight ends, you know, at 70, uh, 42 and 78 prime players at tight end. Okay. Now in 2019, they took Sternberger in the third round. He's a bust. He should be entering his fifth year. That's why you pressed him to take on a tight end. He takes Josiah Degora, an H back tight end, fullback, whatever in the third round in 2020. He's a non-factor really. I mean, he's an okay blocker, but he offers nothing in the passing game. So when you miss on two picks like that, then you got to come back this year and take two more. And this is the, the track record for Gutekunst. I mean, I just see him as a, an average GM, um, conservative. I just don't see him as a top flight guy compared to the people I covered earlier. And so that might be what the Packers are, are left with here, hit or miss. And, uh, and then I'll just m- mention one more. The other thing I was going to say, you know, they take Jaden Reed up at number 50. Now that's kind of a reach. And as a receiver, it's a reach. He's just not that good, but he is a good return guy. He was my number one return guy. Well, again, it's in response to the miss on Amari Rogers, who did the exact same thing, drafted to do the same thing, a small slot uh, and be the return specialist. 
he's so bad they cut him after a year and a half. That's a third round pick and two years ago. And all this stuff, you know, when you miss in the draft, then you got to recover a couple years later. And then that deprives your team of picks in other areas. And it just goes on and on. And that's why you get to be eight and nine. So Tyler Kraft, yeah, he's an interesting player. Um, you know, he's coming off an injury, just like Musgrave's coming off an injury. These are damaged players. And, uh, well, you're rolling the dice. When they get hurt in college and they come in, I do not really injury thing. It's a huge thing in the NFL. And track record of injury really scares me. So he's got ability, um, no doubt about it. That's what those scouts said. You can read all that. But um, so we'll see. Well, Rob Gronkowski had a bad back too, right? That's why the Bills took Terrell Troop he instead did. of the tight end in their backyard. Yeah. Uh, you never know. You never know. And I, you always make great points on Gutekinds, and it's hard to argue. I just, I'm thinking of the human element of it all with this Aaron Rodgers stuff and the fact that he did – Granted, it was a year too late, maybe two years too late when you could have gotten the draft hall that, that you could have gotten then. Not all GMs have the balls to do what he did. I think a lot would have just rode this out, especially after three years, $150 million, and bent the knee at every turn, giving him whatever he wanted. He didn't. I, you were the first to, to report it right here on the podcast. So that has to account for something when you're looking at him as a GM, doesn't it? Or, or to you, was it just this no-brainer? It was time to move on, Tyler. I agree. I mean, Rodgers has these three playoff, well, the Lions, not a playoff, but three end-of-year end of games at Lambeau uh, demanded action, you know, and his age, and he didn't play well. But the whole thing hinges upon it. Uh, love can play. And I don't know if he can. Um, nobody knows if he can. And Gudikins drafted him, so everything he's done hinges on his evaluation of Jordan Love. And if he can't play, they believe 100% in this guy. I, I feel even stronger saying that than I did two months ago. I've heard more about this. People, like I read the Detroit papers and I'm over here in Ann Arbor now. Not only are they saying the Lions are the favorite in the NFC North, but a writer today in the Detroit News said they're the heavy favorite to win the NFC North for the first time since 1993. And I just don't get that. But again, if love is a disappointment, then it's going to set the Packers back and they're going to have to get another one. And then this just goes on and on. So Gutekunst made a hard call. I agree with the call. But the underpinning of the whole thing is Jordan Love. And Tyler, you've done a lot of work on Jordan Love in the last three years, far more than I have. I'm just going back basically to what I saw in that regular season game, a couple exhibition games, and then everything I was told coming out of Utah State by those scouts four years ago now. So that's, that's where we are, I think. Yeah, I, I just feel like that they're dying for a quarterback that's going to run Matt LaFleur's offense and do things athletically that Aaron Rodgers can't do and is going to just granted when you have Aaron Rodgers at the line of scrimmage, you know, he he's going to cover up a lot of warts and get you out of bad plays, put you into good plays. Even these receivers that I talked to um, for that, the last Jordan love story, they, they said that, I mean, they're not even like anti Aaron by any means, 
But they said, like, when you're talking to Jordan Love about the offense versus talking to Aaron Rodgers about the offense, it's like two different languages. And one language they can speak as a 22, 23-year-old receiver, you can't just audible to plays that Aaron ran when you were in high school. I mean, I think Jay Sternberger was on a happy hour two years ago. We did we did a draft happy hour. We brought on a bunch of people, and he told the story of Aaron, like, audible into a play that he ran, like, five years prior. And and he was really nice about it. He's like, oh, sorry, Jace. Didn't. He's like, well, yeah, I was in high school back then. So, I mean, that works great when you've got Jordy Nelson and, like, thousands upon thousands of reps baked into everything you're doing. Randall Cobb, before he just became, you know, this carcass version of himself. Uh, Devontae Adams, maybe the best in the league. But when you're not even showing up to OTAs and physically, like, like you said on the podcast back then, like, physically – it sounds like that ticked off Green Bay that he kind of let himself go. He kind of blew blew off that, so he couldn't move as well. It's a no-brainer, but I think that Jordan Love himself changed the calculus year two to year three and um, just worked. I don't know. I, I feel like just good old-fashioned. That Chiefs game and then the Lions game to end the 2022 season, I think a lot of people assumed, well, Rodgers got his money and now – you look to deal Jordan Love, get salvage what you can, and he just kind of took it as not. Nope, it's going to save his own career, and and that's what he did. And I, I think that he showed up QB one in OTAs. You know what it was too that I had a player tell me the last two months of the season this past year he did a ton with the first first team offense. I mean he was out there with the ones, so they they saw it. In, granted, it's practice versus a game; it's totally different. Uh, but they've they've got to do it at this point for for better or worse. Obviously, I I'm a believer, but we'll we'll see. Let me mention one thing, Tyler. You know, for the first time, the Packers are not going to be the division favorite. Well, Minnesota was at times too, but I'm saying not many times in 30 since far. Um, I think Green Bay they might play a lot harder. I would never call the Packers a real physical, emotional, get after you kind of a ball club. I think maybe they will be now. Um, Rodgers is gone uh, and his glaring at people and selfishness <laughs> and uh, non-leadership qualities. I think if, if Love can show some, some of that, they might want to get after it. They're going to be trying to run the ball. They got an impressive defense on paper, except it's safety and, well, whatever, but if Kenny Clark can come back and get, you know, back to where he was, which is kind of iffy, but they might be a team that can get after people and surprise some people. I, I certainly am not writing off the green Bay Packers. I would put them on a, about a par with, uh, with green Bay. And I'm certainly not writing off the, the Vikings with 13 regular season victories. I don't care what they got. That guy can coach and that GM's done some things. I see is a three-way fight in the NFC North, almost equal. I really love Detroit's depth chart but they haven't proved anything yet. Chris, what's happening? Hey, Tyler. Um, thanks for doing this, Bob, too. Uh, related follow-up, like on the return on the trade, it felt, you know, high under the circumstances, right? And obviously not what it would have been last year. I think we all realized that. But um, did it seem high to you? Were you were you surprised by what they, what they got back? Uh, yes, I was. <laughs> yeah. They got a third for Brett Favre, you know, about the same age coming off a 13 and three season. This guy coming off eight and nine. Favre was a great player in 07. You know, I mean, 
yeah, we remember the giant playoff game when he was terrible in the freezing weather, but still he was coming off a great year. They got a third round pick in early August. Here, uh, Jets, Big Apple, they couldn't disappoint their fans. Must have felt backed into the corner. You got to give the Packers GM credit here for getting what he did. I agree with you all the way, though. It certainly raised my eyebrows. I mean, everybody knew that Aaron Rodgers wasn't going to play for the Packers. Like, everybody. He said it himself to 500,000 concurrent viewers on McAfee, and they still got all of that, which speaks to, you know, I thought Andrew Brandt made this point initially, I believe. And it's so true. Like this is the value of not having an owner. I don't know. I want your perspective too, Bob, like where you're not the, the, the impulse to just do the trade, move on when he goes on McAfee and he's relaying his version of events, which you do not agree with whatsoever. And he's pissing you off and antagonizing you, you know, a, a Jim Ursay, Dan Snyder, any owner, really? I mean, pick anybody. They might see that and be like, you're not going to push me around, you know, to hell with you. I'm trading you right now. I'm just going to get whatever I can get. I'm going to wash my hands of this. But Gutekinds was calm and waited and patient and knew the Jets were desperate and Woody Johnson was desperate and they weren't going to draft a third quarterback in whatever, four or five years. You know, they're going to go veteran. They, they hack it. One of Rogers best friends in the business is the offensive coordinator um, so their their patience, I think, to answer Chris's question, maybe that's that's a big reason why they were willing to take this as close to the draft as they possibly could and really call the Jets bluff. Like, all right, all right, New York, go ahead, trade for Lamar Jackson, completely change your offense, and give up two first round picks, or you know, get Ryan Tannehill. I, they didn't really have many options, and they Green Bay kind of called their bluff. Yeah, that helped them in this draft. We know that. I had a question. I mean, you know, the New York media is really excited for uh, Rodgers to get there. And they, you know, think they can win a Super Bowl, which I, you know, it could be. But Rodgers was a great 18 year ride, but he was a very good quarterback during the season. But come playoff time, he was brutal. And they talk about now he's got a defense. Well, that San Francisco playoff game, he had a defense, which only gave up six points. Special teams, special teams, because brutal in that game. And against Detroit, he was, you know, when at all, he was brutal. And I just think their expectation is, is, I don't know if they've been watching regularly, but like I said, he's a great in-season quarterback. I thought he was average or below average in the playoffs. He got that year in 2010 where he put the team on the back and won a Super Bowl. But really after that, he was average at best. I, I don't know what. New York thinks they're getting. You know, Steve, um, <laughs> we're just spoiled for seeing Favre and Rodgers, you know? And I go back to when I started in 79 and then that whole decade. Glenn Dickey could throw the ball, but he was a statue. But then, you know, Randy Wright and Dillwig and all this. Um, and so it's just like New York now. I mean, stumble bums for 40 years at the position. And all of a sudden they got a, you know, a guy coming in who can play. And they're just going overboard and they just want this so much. And I can understand it because I saw what Favre, how he just resurrected an entire city, state, franchise, everything. Um, so I can get it. In terms of Roger's career, no, you're right. Um, I mean, at the last podcast, the four MVPs, it is impressive. But those votes are cast on or about the 
a regular season finale by that 50 person panel by AP. And the playoffs is where it's at. And it's just the vote should be taken after the Super Bowl. So it's been one Super Bowl, you know, the playoff record, as you stated, you're all accurate on that. One Super Bowl inherited a great team. I mean, that's why I took Favre number one over Rodgers uh, in a close, tough decision I thought about for weeks in that thing in uh, November when I did that. Um, Favre never missed a game. Rodgers missed about 20-plus. To me, I think he's one of the most overrated QBs in history. I really do. And anybody who's not 60 or 65 or 70 really – can't weigh in on this because you haven't seen all these quarterbacks in all those years. I mean, I saw guys, you know, I can picture guys from about 1962 all the way to the present. And I know how hard this game was to play for quarterbacks and how they just got drilled and concussed. And it was just open, open warfare on QBs. And none of that applies today. And, you know, People nowadays would, you know, dismiss a Len Dawson or I don't know. I mean, I'm just thinking of names, Roman Gabriel and Dan Marino and, and whatever. And people here, I think they just think Rodgers is automatic top five, if not top 10. Well, he's not. He just isn't. He did not throw picks. But part of that is his selfishness. He didn't want to go downfield. He knows exactly He's the most calculating person that one of the most I've ever met. And he knows what Hail Mary picks due to passer rating. The passer rating formula is skewed to picks. And he understood that the day he walked in the door and he just eliminated picks. And that's where that passer rating is. And that's where all this narrative about he's a top five, top 10, all time, great first time pro Bowl, uh, hall of famer, but he's really not. He's a good quarterback but there are really 20 to 25 really good quarterbacks too that he fits in somewhere. That kind of fits into the playoff narrative too. I mean, when you get into the playoffs, you're playing better teams, better defenses. Everybody's giving your best stuff on third and eight, and you've got to make a throw to win your team the game in the fourth quarter, not try to not lose the game in the fourth quarter by playing safe. Um, you've got you've got to be willing to take that chance, right? I mean, that's that's what it's about. And we know Favre gets destroyed for some of his multi-pick uh, playoff games. I got it. I got it. But the guy would go down fighting, you know? He wouldn't take himself out of the lineup with eight, eight minutes left in St. Louis or something like that. I mean, he would go down fighting. He didn't care if he had three, four, five picks on that final stat sheet and the passer ratings down to 48.1 or whatever. He just played. He kept trying to win. He didn't care about that stuff. He never missed a game. I mean, it's close between the two, but just what Favre inherited and what he left it at, to me, that's monumental. Tyler, Green Bay was terrible. I covered that team. I, as a writer there for eight years, I, or 10 years, I had no idea what it took to win. I go to those Super Bowls and ask these coaches and players, what does it take? You know, I cover the Packers. What this might be 86, 88, 90. What's it take? How do you get here? And I'd write all these stories in the Green Bay Press Gazette. Well, Green Bay had lost its way too. 
And you asked Ron Wolf, who's the most important part of this Packer equation? He said Favre. Not Holmgren, not himself, not Bob Harlan, not Reggie White, Favre. And just that's why he gets the nod over Rodgers. Rodgers inherited a machine that was really running well, a franchise that had found its way. And uh, it just wasn't this cataclysmic rebuilding job that Favre steered. The older you get, the more you realize how much all of that organizational structure matters to to play on the field. It's hard to kind of connect those dots uh, just surface level, but everything affects everything. Jim Bonas says the same stuff. Like if you're interested in winning, you better have an owner who's going to spend money and get the hell out of the way. So Green Bay kind of has the benefit there, you know, for better or worse, no owner. And then you better have a GM and a head coach on the same page and you need a quarterback. So they've been, well, here's JP brought up a good question here. He goes, why not Bart Starr? And where does Bart Starr fit into this all for you? He won five titles. That's unreal. In a 14 team league with few African-American players. Um, I was a kid. I mean, I saw him play all those games. Saw a few times live, drove down from the UP. You know, when I did those, I rated those quarterbacks 10, 12 years ago. I remember that. Some, yeah, that was that was interesting. There are some people you can, you have to project to the modern game. And you cannot project Bart Starr to the modern game. He's really a non-athlete with an average arm. He's smart. He's tough. But can't really escape. I've mentioned this before, but I'll tell you again. And to me, it just describes Bart Starr, um, his athletic ability. Tom Bettis told me this when I was doing the Super Bowl book. Bettis was a linebacker for the Packers and then later the Chiefs. Or no, he was a coach for the Chiefs in uh, Super Bowl two or three. And uh, uh, excuse, excuse me if uh, some of you guys have heard this story, but because I grilled Bennett about a Bettis about this. He said it was true. Well, they had a, a Packer basketball team traveling in January and February, and it appeared at my high school up in Escanaba, Escanaba Holy Name. And I remember seeing these guys come in with eight players and then play a bunch of teachers or whatever. And Bart was on that team. And Bettis told me that during layups, they would be on Bart all the time about this, but it never changed. They would, he, he would go in for a layup on the right side, just the old classic traditional layup. He would go off his right foot, not his left. He could not coordinate his feet to shoot a layup. And Betta said they were all over his ass. I mean, just mocking him. Bart, what in the hell are you doing? You're going up like a, you know, I don't want to say, but okay. But he could not. He just continued to go off the right. Can you imagine that? And this is a, that just, to me, it just, it's just a small cut, but that just shows you his lack of athletic ability. Yes, he's a winner and all this, but come on, you can't compare him with these, with Marino, Steve Young, Aaron Rodgers, Brett Favre. You just can't. It's just, yes, he won, but when I rate quarterbacks, I, you can project these guys to the modern game, you know, and you just can't project Bart. I'm sorry. I was hoping you'd tell that story. I, I, I can remember you bringing it up way back then. Yeah. 
And Bettis played on that team. Okay. You know, yeah, he was, I think he was the player coach of that Packer basketball team. All right. If we can just hit pause on the Packers talk, David Conan, he just asked a question here, which uh, we're very tight end friendly at go long. So this is, this is great. He wants your thoughts on the bills adding Dalton Kincaid. Um, yeah, Kincaid goes at 25. You know, he wasn't even this. He played at San Diego, an FCS school, non-scholarship for a couple of years. And then he goes to Utah and he wasn't even the guy this year. Brant Cuthy was the guy and he gets hurt in the second or third game. And then Kincaid just takes off. So he's kind of a one-year wonder, as the scouts would say, but he played terrific. And against USC, everybody cites this game. You know, the first USC game this year, 16 targets, 16 catches, 200-plus yards. I mean, I like him. Um, I think he's the best. Uh, the scouts poll gave it to Michael Mayer, but I always thought Kincaid was the best. But he's got a back problem, and that's, that's the deal. Two scouts said he had back fractures. They used the word plural in describing what their doctors had uh, – picked up at the combine on Kincaid. That doesn't sound good. Now he's been cleared and he's ready to go. His doctor has said that. Uh, but boy, the Bills are taking a chance on that. And, you know, we'll all forget about this back, but then if it pops up two or three years ago, we'll all remember it. So they are taking a risk, but he's really a good player. It, it is fascinating. We've seen it go both ways. We've seen a, a so it's not unlike any of us to have back issues, right? Like it's it's something that can linger and ruin a guy's career. Or like we said, Gronk earlier, maybe maybe it's maybe it's nothing. You know, everybody's different. Everybody recovers different, deals with you know C fours and C fives differently. So he is what they need, though X's and O's wise. I feel like you've got Diggs, Davis. Our guy, Isaiah McKenzie, there were some ups and downs. You know, he, he thought he should have gotten the ball a little bit more at times. He's not wrong. He was open a lot, but he also had, you know, his share of drops, and it didn't work out with him in the slot to the point where they're desperately calling Cole Beasley and John Brown. So they had to get somebody in the first round. So I, I give them credit. I really was fearful Sean McDermott would go defense again because it, it sure seems like he has the final say there. He's a defensive coach. When you need weapons, you got to load up. And there was that run of wide receivers. So maybe they're seeing this run and they got to get in there for, for somebody. I mean, it is kind of a hybrid. He does a little bit of everything. Oh. All right. I can't remember who popped their hand up first. So I'll just let you, everybody kind of shout over each other. Bob, what do you well, think me... of Sean Clifford in the fifth round for the Packers? He was about... Well, there was that run of QBs right in front of them, you know, from 127. So Clifford got selected at 149 and they, you know, only the big five had gone off. And then Hayner from Fresno at 127, Stetson Bennett, 128, Aiden O'Connell, 135, Toon, 139, and Thompson Robinson, 140. So they just went off the board. So now there's 10 gone. And Packers needed a quarterback. And then at 149, they take him over Max Duggan and uh, uh, McKee and Jaron Hall. 
So Clifford, boy, we've, I've seen him a ton over the years. Uh, kind of a heart and soul guy, you know, hard to beat. Um, God, you can't stamp him out. He's fighting until uh, 60 minutes. You love his, his combativeness, his competes. Kind of inaccurate, you know, the ball would kind of go wild at times on him. Fifth round's a bit of a reach from what I was able to pick up from the scouts. Um, I kind of like Max Duggan. Jeez, the guy got him in the national title. You talk about Hart and, man, Moxie. But they took him over Duggan. Um, I don't know. I, I mean, do you guys see Duggan or uh, Clifford as a solid number two possible starter someday? Well, Bobby was your unsung hero. <laughs> but the problem is when I write that unsung hero at QB, I was 12 in the chart. There's only like about 10 other guys to pick from. But you're right, he was. <laughs> <laughs> 3 a.m. picking up an unsung hero you're grabbing at straws man <laughs> Bob I want to ask you about the um the Clemson curse and god I love this story it's just it was amazing have you ever heard um the scouts talk about another um prominent uh college uh, head coach like they did about Dabo and he comes off as a total snake oil salesman if not outright liar um, so curious your, your thoughts on that one. Uh, well, let me say this. Okay. Now I see you got a Michigan hat on you. Uh, you're an alumnus or just yeah, a fan law school 2009. Okay. So yeah, I'm down to J school. <laughs> so got a little <laughs> different level working here, but, um, so I can't really say, so they accused Dabble of just uh, buttering up every player, selling a bunch of goods, being full of shit, whatever. I mean, there's a lot of that going on with head coaches. They're in an auditorium talking to 25 scouts, and they don't want to give it away. And you know what? Since I wrote that story, another scout called me the next day. He said, Bob, he says, I've always got pretty good stuff out of Dabble just off to the side or after practice, you know. So, okay. But I would just want to mention this, you know. Scout ranks colleges on uh, how welcoming they are and just how, like, the worst visit of all for scouts was Penn State with Paterno. Oh, my God. There was this one scout. Every time I mentioned Penn State or Paterno, he would just just have a fit. He just he made it horrible at Penn State to go in there. Wouldn't tell you shit. Terrible restrictions. All right. When Another you're harboring school. Jerry Sandusky, I guess, uh, you know, you're hiding things, but sorry. And I don't know why, because I think if I was a player, I'd want these schools to be roll out the red carpet for these NFL scouts, because that's where I want to go. And I think if players knew that, boy, it would affect recruiting. But um, and then I got to say this, too, up in Michigan State, Mel Tucker up there. As much as I'm not really a green a Sparty fan, Mel Tucker is a great school call. That's what these NFL, he's he's one of them. Now Harbaugh's an NFL guy too, but doesn't rub off on, it doesn't carry over. Whereas Tucker, come on in, carte blanche, everything's open to you guys, come on in. And NFL people love that stuff. So that's about the best I can say. 
Hey, Bob, I have a question about the draft series and how it works and, and everything. Uh, I, I love it, by the way. I, I love everything that you write, write and have for a long time. But um, in, the, in, the, in the draft series, I'm wondering, it, um, it wasn't clear to me, are you talking to the same guys about all these players? It always amazes me that, I mean, you must be on the phone forever with these guys because you you got three, you know, you, you've got information on 250, 300 players, and, or maybe it's more than that. And that's kind of my, my first question on it. And then in spite of that, this, this is kind of a different track, but I'd like you to answer this one too. I'm, I'm curious why none of them, why you weren't able to catch or they didn't share with you, like these guys who slid in the draft over the last few days, like Levies and Darnell Washington, who had injury problems and some of these other guys, if, if, if they're maybe just not aware of it, or if there's kind of an unwritten rule, maybe not to kind of want to say some of these kind of things in public and stuff as well. So it's, it's just really a lot of curiosity about, I love how you're, you know, reading your series because it's not, you know, you're not Mel Kuyper who's, you know, trying and not even a scout who's trying to do all this stuff. And also you're getting it from, you know, more than a dozen different scouts. So you get a lots of opinions, which is really interesting to me because you'll get the same player who, some guys love and some guys don't. So explain a little more about your process. You know, I'd love to hear I'm that. an information gatherer, you know, and um, done it for a lot of years. And a lot of people give me unbelievable amounts of time. And that's, that's why it happens. That's why it works. And um, yeah, it's five, five weeks really of uh, not having a life. And it's like school's out now after finish up this Packer stuff tonight. Right, Tyler? <laughs> Get out of jail it's, free, man. Get Bob, seriously, course. it's Start when you sleeping. did when you had the S2 story story on you know CJ Stroud and Bryce Young, I probably heard from like 10 different radio stations. I didn't even tell you this, at asking you to go on. And I I almost laughed to some of them, like, I can't get Bob on the phone for three minutes. Like he is a freaking machine right now, up all night, transcribing, writing, gathering planning like you're it's it's not exaggeration yeah you're uh you're an animal those those two weeks but really before that when you know like jp brought up you the conversations you're having have got to be endless yeah and so oh what do i want to say about it um so it's just it's just guys helping me and then I just got to ask about a lot of players as much as as many as I can, as much time as he has, as many as he's seen or his area, or if he knows the whole country or just, you know, a certain uh, part of the country. Um, you know, unfortunately, prior to 2014, guys would go on the record, especially on positive things they said. And it added immensely to the series when there's, when people were named, you know, and that's the way it was for the first, uh, 20, 32 years or something. But, you know, it just, money got really big. Just the whole billionaire operation of the league and money just colors everything. And it was just more of a fun league when it was a little bit smaller and guys just couldn't have their name in the paper anymore. And they just really couldn't do it. And I was starting to lose guys. And so then I had to make that change and go all anonymous. Boy, it was reluctant. I was begging people the last four or five years and I just threw up my hands. Uh, is that about it, JP, I guess? Um, anything else about the process? Well, the other question was um, a, a little bit, 
why didn't um, your guys and, and actually nobody knew all the all the NFL teams knew not to pick Darnell Washington apparently early. Everybody thought he was going to be, you know, the, the the number three, if not better, tight end off the board, for example. And then this guy Keely Ringo is another one who kind of slid, and then Le- Levy's slid. Apparently, yeah. Levy's was the toe, and you know, and from what I've read, uh, Washington, it was a, another injury thing. Keely Ringo was another one, so. Uh, you know, I was kind of surprised by there's a, just, just a few of those mismatches where all of us fans expect people to go early, but obviously all the teams knew something we didn't know. I'm kind of curious how that sort of works, so, what's going on there. Just for example, I mean, I wrote that the tight end wide receivers was, well, I write special teams first, actually, even though it's part nine, and then wide receiver tight end was the second part I wrote. So that's like eight, nine days ago. Tuesday night here, yeah, it was Tuesday night. A guy was, we we're going through some injuries. And he said Darnell Washington had an, had an injury problem and it wasn't real good. Now, I had no place, like had the Packers drafted him or somebody I was writing about, I would have been writing about that, but I had no way to get that in anywhere. I put him in the top 100 because I still thought he was and he barely got in there. But so it's injury. A lot of those, you know, when guys fall, well, you know, People on TV and things, they use the word like they use reaches and overdraft and like the Detroit News guy today say, uh, said Dan or said Campbell went earlier than projected. Well, projected by who? I mean, I kind of know about teams because of these polls. To me, the polls are the most valuable thing in there. They know these are anonymous polls. I'm not... If, if these guys were screwing around with me in line with me, you think I wouldn't know it after doing it for this many years and knowing these people? And I, I just wouldn't call them again. But those polls are gold. And I know people around the league look at those polls. So that's the, when somebody writes about a projection, projection of what? Out of, out of Kuiper or these other things, ESPN or all these millions of things. I don't look at any of that. I look at Dane Brugler, the beast, he was my colleague at the athletic. I look at him for background and he does a great, unbelievable job with his background. I don't know how he does it. He's a fabulous employee and I hope they pay him and keep him forever. He's unreal doing that stuff. Um, but this, they can't say it's a reach. They can't say it's projected unless you're talking to a bunch of scouts. And I kind of have a little bit of ability to say it's a reach, but maybe I, I got to be careful and recognize who I am too. And I can't go too far on that. So injuries, character are the issues that usually drop players that you don't really know about, but. Bob, why don't you well, get sometimes into you, like... Sometimes you brought that too. Sometimes you brought that into your, sometimes the scouts would say that you had brought that in too. That was always, and as a Packer fan, I know the Packers shy away from character risks quite a bit. So anyway, thank you, Bob. I appreciate that. Sure. A little more insight on how you pull all that together. But also, Bob, I, I think it's worth even touching on the, va- the value of covering the draft the way you do, especially the way it's changed over the years with networks kind of being in bed with the NFL. You don't re- you don't get the unvarnished, honest, good, bad, ugly. Maybe, maybe you did in the past. I don't know. I, I can remember like, you know, Nolan Naraki and Pro Football Weekly and, you know, uh, they, 
there, there, there were sources in the past where you got pros and cons and it wasn't always fluff. I feel like it's gotten to the point where you very rarely hear a bad word said about any prospect in any coverage leading up to the thing. And that's kind of why you stand out even maybe more than you ever have is because these scouts and execs are, are telling you exactly what they feel. And it's not always going to be made for TV. Thanks for bringing that up, Tyler. Um, could talk for an hour on this, you know, um, you know, my whole life I've heard people say, well, why are you so negative? You know, man, scouts, they don't like anybody. Man, do they like anybody? Do they like Bryce Young? Do they like Trevor Lawrence? They're so negative. Can you imagine what's going on inside those draft rooms? They are just, their lives are at stake, their occupations, their careers, and they are ripping players up and down, debating, digging, digging character, calling constantly, teachers, equipment guys, trainers, they're digging it all. And when I get a little bit of that and put that in there, I'm trying to take readers into the draft room where they can't go. And I'm only really scratching the surface of the stuff that's going on in those draft rooms. And then when I bring this, it's such a difference from Tyler, all the sources you're talking about. Um, you know, if you're paid by a network, which means ESPN, Fox, NFL network, if you're paid by a network, you're giving half the story. I mean, they're paid to promote the league, promote the players that are coming into the league. It's just the way it is. And they can only go so far in criticism and whether they want to or not, but they only do. And you hear, you hear this, these three words all the time, a little bit, struggle a little bit. He struggled that th those are euphemisms for the guy's really a, really a problem actor. He can't catch the ball or whatever, a little bit, a little bit, this kind of a little bit. It's all these little deflections and massaging. Um, so the one guy, you know, you know who I kind of really respect all these years, and I haven't talked to him in over 20 years, is Mel Kuyper. You know, I don't, I, I can't read, I've never read anything, Mel, but when I just saw him on TV a little bit Thursday night, he is critical, and I give him credit for that. He's the one guy who's not afraid. He really does. Um, okay, the... The guy who started really all this, to me, the real best, great one is Joel Buxbaum at Pro Football Weekly, starting about 80, 81. Yeah, somewhere in there. And then um, he was fantastic. He died suddenly, very tragic and sad. And then Nolan Naraki replaced him. Nolan had played football at the University of Illinois, and Nolan did a great job, too. So those are the two who are the best draft Knicks. They're both better than Kuiper in my opinion or and Brugler's kind of getting into that range but not quite yet I don't think but those are the two guys and I knew them both very well talked a lot they were terrific and they were the pioneers in this business well said it's important I mean I think the readers the fans the people who make the NFL possible <laughs> right by filling stadiums deserve truth you're right. They don't they shouldn't be pandered to and lied to and misled. And I'd love to know what people think about, like even watching the draft. Maybe I'm I'm getting to be a curmudgeon. I don't know. Somebody told me I'm sounding more like you too, Bob. So I don't, I don't know if they meant it as a compliment or not. But I'm watching this draft and it's like, oh, my God, they got dude perfect. You know, these YouTubers up there for a pick and they're sliding in an NFL Sunday ticket promo. 
like before a pick. That's garbage. I mean, get the hell out of here. I mean, it's 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 kind of sick. And there was a lot of that going on. Uh, I guess like a Canadian influencer announced the Bills second round pick. It's just gotten so, they've gotten so money hungry, and the NFL better be careful, especially with, with this gambling stuff. Where I mean, you 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 want to you want to play with dirty money? Uh, it's it's going to catch up to you at some point. And public trust is a very delicate thing kind of going all over the place now, but I feel like you can't play fans for fools and they want authenticity and you, and the league better remember that. Let me mention this tile too. Okay. Um, you know, I'm described as a negative cat, you know, a negative, Bob, you know, all this stuff over all the years, you know, but nobody, the bust rate is fantastic. It, in the first round, it's fit about 50%, real disappointments, 40 to 50%, and then rounds after this. But yet, nobody reminds anybody of that. And the pressure on these NFL people to live up to that, to the ex- expectations, they know how hard it is. They, their jobs are brutal. You're dealing with human beings and inexact science. That's what Dick Cork of the Packers told me about the first year I was on the beat. Bob, this is an inexact science. Don't ever forget that. And I never had. The human condition and guys are, and then they get paid and they don't know how they're going to react. Once they get paid, the bus rate is so high and the narrative on TV and with all these so-called analysts used to be draft next. Now they're analysts is is so high. And I don't know. And one more thing I want to mention too, you know, I'm described now when you get to be a certain age as what a grumpy old man, you know, Bob gets somebody off the lawn. And, you know, there's a bit of age discrimination going on in this society, you know, and uh, it's kind of sickening. I mean, I'm not kidding. And I don't feel I've really lost a whole lot. And um, but again, I think it's young people. They tend to just get off, get up with this age deal. And it's just it's really bogus and it's unfair. But whatever, it doesn't bother. I mean, that's in sports and otherwise, too, like if. And if there's a big issue in the world, I'm sorry, I'm not going to listen to a 13-year-old or a 14-year-old discuss this issue. I'd, I'd like to listen to somebody who's been through everything and seen everything and has knowledge because you don't know what you don't know. And that, that's a great point. We forget that. <laughs> if I may um, make a suggestion, Tyler, to, to you and Bob, um, Bob, was, Bob was talking about uh, Joel Bushbaum before and... Um, he would write, uh, maybe Bob's familiar with this publication, um, Scout's Notebook. Yeah, and, that was Pro Football Weekly, their, their draft. Okay. Right. Yeah, and Bushbaum was just just totally uncensored. He would completely tell it like it is. And there's no publication I'm aware of that, that's like that. Bob's maybe with his write-ups is the closest thing. And um, I used to cover the, the draft for, for newspapers and things. and. I would interview Joel and um, I was covering the UNLV football team. This was back in 1984 when they had Randall Cunningham and he was a punter too. And he had a very high punting average. I asked Joel, I said, uh, does Cunningham have any shot to be a pro punter too, along with being a quarterback? He goes, he has no shot to be a punter. And the way he would talk, you know, that Brooklyn accent and all that, I can't, I can't imitate it, but he said, he's a schoolyard punter. 
<laughs> you know, and nobody, you know, is that honest, you know, with their, their criticism or their opinions. They all, as you say, Bob, they all couch it. And, you know, I, I, I miss him. And um, I remember interviewing Mel Kuyper just when he was starting out. He was in Baltimore. And he, this was way before he was in ESPN. And he was very good. And he was very honest and critical. I think the, the greatest exchange in ESPN draft history was, of course, Kuyper and Foley getting into it. And I don't think you'll ever have that again. And it's just, yeah. and it's too bad because that was Kuyper, you know, putting his opinion and Poland saying, you know, ripping him, saying, you know, my mailman knows as much as you. And that's good stuff. And it's just too bad that it, it's gone into this uh, pageantry, which the NFL draft is nowadays. It's just too damn bad because there's no journalism. There's no objectivity to it. And I'm just so, so thankful, Tyler, that you have Bob working for you. And Bob, that you're, you're still doing the, this stuff because I, I know how hard it is. And uh, so I, I just really thank you for, for both you guys and for your honesty, Bob, and your objective reporting. Thank you. Thank you very much. Appreciate it a lot. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, echoing Bob. Yeah, really appreciate that, man. I mean, because it, it, it requires an audience. It requires an appetite people who want that, right? And it's so, I'm just so blown away by everybody who comes on these happy hours, everybody who reads, who subscribes, who supports what I'm trying to do with Go Long. And I'm unbelievably appreciative that Bob wants to uh, keep writing. I Sometimes I think you're nuts, Bob. You don't want to just stay on a golf course, you know, and right off into the sunset, but I'll take all the Bob I can get here. So thank you. Uh, but it's, I, to your point, I think that, you know, I'm, I, I guess I'm quote unquote a millennial. I'm 35, gonna be 36, and what a I'm already age. feeling kind of old. Yeah, I mean, now you got what Generation Z coming up. I think people are easily offended and are so quick to want to cancel other people and are just, we're kind of past that era in general, sports or otherwise, of just wanting the truth. And not only that, but respecting somebody else's opinion without getting well, personal. Like, you know, we should be as, able to as, do that in a society. And as, as a Packer fan, if I could give you a suggestion, Tyler, with, with your, your site, and, and I know everything's, you know, you got to kind of earn, you got you to gotta make money. But, and I had, uh, I was so disappointed when Bob had left the Milwaukee Journal, because that was my sole purpose of uh, subscribing to the Milwaukee Journal to get his Packer coverage. Mm -hmm. And I would be emailing the other um, editors uh, saying, why aren't your other beat writers as, as good as Bob? Why aren't they as objective? You know, they, they seem to be more homerish. And uh, but anyways, um, to, to the point, then when Bob went on his own, I subscribed to his um, to get all his Packer news. And then he left and joined you. I'm just wishing and hoping that maybe you guys could, could do something where Bob keeps writing about the Packers. And, uh, I you know, I can speak for myself and I'm sure a, a lot of other Packer fans, we would subscribe, you know, just to be able to read that that special content that objective, uh, you know, Bob McGinn uh, stuff that no one else has, you know, and, um, and, you know, your features are very good too, Tyler. And um, uh, so, uh, you know, I think you, you, you would have something. I don't know if you have to convince Bob to do that, but I, I think you get a lot of subscribers, you know. What do you say, Bob? You want to break down the games this year? <laughs> oh, I just did it for a long time. Okay, we're, we're, this is you didn't know this. This is an intervention. We're all or we're just gang, ganging up on you. We're all going to try to make you cover the Packers. <laughs> <laughs> 
it was a long, long, long time, you know? Oh my gosh. So <laughs> I think I'm going along pretty good right now. <laughs> yeah. You did. You wrapped it up right with the series. You had the 13 parter. So if you did it, then you'd have to return to do another 13 part series. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh gosh. Hey, does anybody else uh, have any more questions for Bob here before we sign off? This has been awesome, and gosh, we'll hey, absolutely Doug, I have got to do one it again. If we're oh. still going, I uh, yeah. got an old school. I got an old school question. Sorry, my camera is not working, but I appreciate you guys doing this. I got an old school question for Bob. Years ago, I read a Packer chat that either you or your old colleague Cliff Crystal were doing, and you told a story about. First round pick Barty Smith, my favorite player when I was a little kid, but he wasn't much good. And the story was that they picked him in part based off a of 40 time that they didn't take. It was actually apparently in like an NFL program and they got him into training camp and then actually did a 40 time in person. And I think the, the punchline was, and it was a long bus ride back to the offices at Lambeau. Um, is do you remember such a story would that have possibly been cliff can you uh verify that and is that the way it was done back in the early 70s or only done by the inept organizations like the packers uh i'm sorry i don't know you know i didn't start till 79 and i barty smith that was his last year i talked to him a couple times in the locker room but i don't know anything about that 40 or the drafting um the one thing I maybe would add would be, you know, they'd say you never know about a player until you get them on your practice field and your gear, and um, especially in pads, but even in a mini camp, and that's what you're kind of referring to on Smith, but I mean, I was here for this one, but when Rich Campbell was the sixth pick, the quarterback from Cal in 81, I think, yeah. yeah. I was assigned to do this big, long feature Cliff was the main beat writer and I was the backup. So I was assigned to cover the mini camp for three days and go interview him over at the uh, Midway Best Western on the corner there, as many of you people know. And, uh, but, so he didn't look good, but I mean, I didn't know which end was up at that point. And anyway, Dick Cork, the guy who drafted him, didn't want to draft him. They wanted Ronnie Lott, but Bart and, uh, I think Bart was the one who insisted they draft Rich Campbell. But he had, he had arm damage, and they knew, Dick Corrick said, on that first day at minicamp, when they saw him throw the ball on the South Oneida Street practice field, two hours, they just knew. And they were just crestfallen. And they walked back up the hill to the locker room, and they just were shaking their heads. He and uh, Red Cochran, I think he said Dave Hanner, and they just, it wasn't going to work. And it never did work. He never advanced beyond third string. Rich Campbell's a great guy, but he's, you know, one of the top five busts probably in Packer history. So that I'll just add that in there. Tyler, could I ask a question? Hey, what's up, Dick? Good hey. to see you, man. Sorry, I was with the kid at the playground. She just went to the other room. So I missed the whole beginning. So if this question was already asked, I apologize. I'll watch the recording. But congratulations, Bob, for breaking the story on the Packers wanting to go clean with Rodgers this year. Congratulations, Tyler, for being right that they should have done it last year. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> okay. And then, but 
I know you can't reveal your sources even in a private happy hour, especially when that's being recorded, Bob. So I'm not asking you to reveal your source, but did you have an inkling that within the building there were a lot of people that agreed with Tyler last year or when did it take an eight and nine season or were there even inklings even in the two MVP years that, hey, this guy in the playoffs doesn't seem to really care. He cares more about MVPs than postseason. We're not going to win a trophy with this guy. I mean, was there an inkling of that before this offseason from inside the building? I don't know anything about that. The feeling two years ago, I don't know anything about that. I was over here and um, I just didn't have occasion to be writing about it or even think investigating it. So I'm sorry, I can't help you. So, so this year, though, you asked the question and got the answer or did they call you to say, hey, Bob, we're, we're upset? Well, I reported it and knew <laughs> from sources that uh, they were done with the guy and they were 100% behind love and they were disgusted and that was it. They were, they were moving on one way or another. Okay. Thank you. I've got a question. Yeah. I can't remember the timing of your report, Bob, but uh, do you buy uh, Rogers uh, claim that uh, they did a 180 during the so-called darkness retreat and the other item on the uh, podcasting, I doubt you'll do it, but I hope you will. I would be interested to hear you and Tyler just, shoot the breeze about whatever football you watched <laughs> over the weekend including college football i don't know maybe you'd be interested i'd be interested to listen to it oh man okay. thanks i'd love that that's a good idea so on on rogers um yeah i don't all i can tell you i don't know what they told him you know or when or whatever but they made that decision and i don't think it was that long after the detroit game maybe within a couple weeks maybe less but Gutekunst and, and all his people got together with Murphy and LaFleur and coaches and scouts, and they made that decision. And I don't know the communication with Rodgers. I don't think it's even important. They just made the call, and they weren't turning back from that, and that was it. And they were going with love. They believed in love. Like Tyler said, how much he practiced last year with the ones Rodgers was injured with that hand, and that was it. So I don't know. The communications and all that. Rogers, <laughs> he's got his own narrative, you know, and he always will, and he's something else. Yeah, that, I didn't buy the ninety percent retired into the retreat I, at all. I mean, he was really kind of talking himself in a maze of his own making. I couldn't he really follow it. The jet, he was trying to increase the Jets' trade leverage. Yeah, I, I really think to the extent that he was being strategic and not just buried in his own mind, that's what he was doing. He was trying to make us get less for him. Yeah. It had the opposite effect, I guess. Right? Yeah, that was that was odd. Yeah, it, yeah I, that is a great question, though, too. I wonder if they would they wish they could go in a time machine and just do do this. Two years ago, last year, but they got a lot for him, and I, I think they're pretty happy that they're they're done with him. And he'll, he'll come back and he'll get the number retired and the street and all that stuff at some point. Right, Bob? You've seen it. Well, he'll do before. all that. There'll be ceremonies. Yeah. And then he'll be in, in Canton. Um, what will the Packer contingent, the Rogers contingent be like in Canton? I remember what it was like for fire. I was there that night in Canton. Hundreds and hundreds of people for him family, friends, teammates. I mean, it was a outpouring. How many will be there for Rogers? 
not the family. He'll have a lot of people there. I mean, they'll be teammates. I'm not not going to sit here and say he doesn't have friends, but it's uh, it's definitely different, different dynamic. I mean, that Favre speech was unbelievable, and a lot's happened with Brett Favre since, obviously. But to, to just speak off the cuff about his dad, about life, football, right? He didn't, I don't think he took any notes. I could be wrong, but wasn't that the case, Bob, that he was just I forgot. freestyling I it? Yeah, that was, that was an all-timer. It was good, yeah. All right. Is anybody else? I don't want to cut anybody off if, if somebody has a question for Bob. All right. Well, that was awesome. Man. Bob, what a what a draw. I think you uh you tripled like Jamal Lewis and Wyatt Teller, some of these other guys we've had on. So you've that's that's the power of Bob McGinn here. Uh <laughs> thanks, thanks so much thanks, for doing Tyler. it, Bob. Hey, thank you everybody for hanging out like this on a Saturday night. I mean, honestly, I'm floored, blown away. Your support is just unbelievably appreciated. So thank you so much. And I am true. Some of you guys, some of you guys said you've read me for years and years and years. And uh, I mean, I'm nothing without you guys. And uh, so I owe you all a huge debt of gratitude for being these faithful readers. It's, it's been unreal. And you know, it's, it's kind of just made my career. Um, so thank you very much. All of you are so welcome. Thank you, Bob. Right Thanks, back Bob. at you. Thanks, Bob, for all the hard work. <laughs> Definitely. Thanks, Bob. Thanks, Tyler. It's hey. a great thing you do. Hey, thank no, you th you thanks, JP. Back. Thanks, everyone. We'll, we'll keep doing it. I'll uh, open these happy hours up to, you know, everybody a lot more often. So we'll just, and let me know, like, shoot me an email, tweet, whatever. Um, you know, text who, who you want to have on these happy hours and I'll try to get them. I mean, there's a lot of former Packers. It'd be a lot of fun. I think your Bob's old friend, Frank Winters came on once and told a Bob McGinn story. We should have brought Frank on. Uh, Bag of donuts. Just, yeah. Yeah. Just let me know. Uh, but they, thanks so much, everyone. We'll, we'll see you soon. Thanks. Thanks, thanks guys. Take care.